Is it on now? Yes. First challenge completed. All right. <clears throat> I only preach a few times a year, so I always feel a measure of obligation to introduce myself. That and the fact that every single week of the year, we have new faces in this room, which is an amazing uh, and unusual thing. Uh, we're thankful for you being here. If, if you're new or visiting with us, my name is Brian I'm the executive pastor here at Church 21 Montreal, which means I get to oversee the legal, financial, operational, organizational health of the church, uh, as well as provide some measure of pastoral care for the staff. I'm originally from Oregon, but my wife grew up here in Montreal, and so I kind of married into this. We spent eight years first doing youth ministry in Oregon, had three kids, and then moved here in 2010 to be involved in church planting, and uh, we worked with Dwight and Jessica to help... uh, uh, start this church in 2011. Who was here last week? Most of you. I was supposed to be preaching last week, as you're probably aware, um, and I was unable to do so. I was medically uh, uh, indisposed, is probably the best way of, of putting that. Um, <clears throat> my baser impulses prompt me to defend my absence with a more graphic description of what I was doing this hour last week, but I will resist those impulses and spare you. Um, but I know that many of you also have enjoyed this particular uh, virus that's going around. It is quite uh, vicious. But seriously, though, I'm very thankful that Dwight was able, willing to step in uh, at the last minute with very little notice uh, to be able to cover and, and to preach. Thankful for the grace of God that we are able to be here this morning and to give this a, a second try. And maybe the enemy was desiring to try to stop us from uh, digging into this subject, but what the enemy uh, tries to do for evil, the Lord uses for good, right? He is able. So we're thankful. And thank you to everybody who has been praying for me. I have appreciated that, appreciated that quite a bit. We are in a series titled Paranormal, uh, which when you pull the the cover off of this world really for us in the last few weeks has been a study of evil in its various forms. It's broader than that, but that's where we've gone so far. It's looking at evil. Where Jordan started us out was looking at uh, evil in the form of pain and suffering. And how do, we, how do we deal with pain and suffering when we worship a God that's good and all-powerful? How do we deal with that logically? Uh, so that's where we began. And then in the week following, Dwight um, looked at what is evil? Where does it come from? And we saw how we are evil and we are 100% dependent on the finished work of Jesus to change our status as, as being evil to being righteous. Uh, then the week following, he took us into a look of evil, the, the manifestations of evil and evil spirits, uh, demons, the Satan, uh, dug into all of that. Last week, thanks to my uh, sickness, you guys got a bonus paranormal sermon on the calling where Dwight definitely brought that into the paranormal realm of looking, looking at how paranormal it is when God, who is a God who likes to hide, he's not flashy, uh, but he steps in in a flashy paranormal way to call us, to call me, to call you uh, into something. And, and we, he looked at Moses and how that occurred. This morning, we are going to finish our series looking at the occult. Um, We're going to seek to answer a bunch of questions, including what is the occult? How do we know when something is occultic? What is the presence of the occult in our area, in in Montreal, in in Quebec? What does the Bible have to say about uh, the occult? How do we as Christians engage with the subject of the occult? How do we engage with those who have been affected by the occult? And how might occult philosophies have influenced our, our own thinking as Christians or as just individuals in Western society? It is going to take us a little while to get to the Bible this morning. I don't want those of you who are being like, when is he going to open the Bible? We will get there. There's just a few things we have to set out first uh, in terms of, of framing this, and then we'll go to the Bible in a big way for answers, I promise. So uh, I'm just going to pray again for the Lord's help in this, and then we will get to work. Uh, Papa God, you are such a good father to us uh, that you have made things so simple and the enemy seeks to lie and complicate and, and um, draw us into um, evil worship and, and um, things other than just looking at the, at the glory of your son. Uh, help us to see his glory this morning as preeminent. Even as we look into darkness, that we would just be overcome by your light. 
that you, Spirit, would be present here uh, at work in our hearts, in your, in your quiet way, uh, changing us and making us more like Jesus. And for those people here, Lord, who are still in bondage, uh, who are uh, experiencing spiritual oppression, I pray that you would just highlight that, shine a, a spotlight on those spirits, uh, those evil spirits, Lord, that we might, um, in Jesus' name, banish them from this place and from these lives this morning. We ask that you would do a mighty work this morning in this and give us help in all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so <clears throat> when I say the occult, what springs to mind? I'm looking for real answers from the audience here. Evil. Ouija board. Wicca. Satanism. We'll talk about that. Tarot cards. I'm repeating them so they go into the podcast. Otherwise, this is a really boring part of the podcast. I'll tell you what I think of. I think of this book I read in high school. Uh, and it's, uh, it, was a, it was a composite sort of, it was a fictional story, but a composite of real stories of people who had purportedly escaped from occultic groups in Oregon or Northwest area. And <clears throat> let me tell you, this is a book you cannot unread. Um, I questioned my parents' decision in putting it on the shelf um, and me finding it. It has a warning, like, maybe you don't want to read this book. I'm like, maybe I do. I didn't. Um, but it was hard. It's, it's almost hard to take some of it seriously, except for the fact that I knew the author. The, this guy in our church is a psychologist, dealt with um, different uh, kinds of uh, relationships and uh, traumatic situations. And somehow he got into uh, counseling these different folks who had purportedly escaped from these occultic groups. And eventually he got to the point where he wanted to write a book to expose what was happening. And uh, if, you, if you look into this online, the, the, there's this thing called, uh, I'm a little distracted because this monitor is doing crazy things right now. Is the screen working? That's good. Um, I don't know if anyone can like either turn this off or get it working again, but that would be, that would be ideal. The static is stressful. Um, if you look into this online, you'll see that this was a whole big thing back in the 80s and early 90s uh, uh, called ritual abuse hysteria. And it's this idea, everyone got very freaked out that children were being kidnapped or even born and raised into these families. Thank you, sir. Uh, born and raised into these families for the express purpose of like child sacrifice, ritual sexual abuse, like really, really uh, terrible things. Things that are worthy of hysteria, uh, if they are true. And there's much investigation that was done. And over a long period of time, they eventually kind of decided that the official decision was there isn't this big conspiracy. This is not a massive thing. There's some isolated cases. Maybe some of these stories are made up. And so it kind of got played down and, and, and went away. And so maybe it wasn't as huge of a thing as it blew up to be in the news, but there does seem to be something to it because as this guy tried to publish this book, these groups pushed back. Uh, they sued him and successfully stopped him from publishing his book, and then through more secretive means, threatened the life, uh, his life and the life of his family. And, uh, and so much so that the police had to teach him how to check his car for bombs. Every time that he would go to start it, he had to get out and look and everything to make sure it was okay. Uh, but not to be deterred, he figured out a way to publish a new book, a different book. Uh, he took the stories, he composited them, made it a fictional account, published under a pen name, in the fiction category, and he got it out. And once it was out, they contacted him, said, we're not going to touch you now because it's out. The dam that damage is done. If we kill you, that will just make your thing seem more credible. It'll just make the story bigger. So this is, this, this is the thing that I think of when I hear of the cult. That immediately all washes back over me and the contents of the book, which I'm not going to say the name or his name or anything on because this will be recorded. You can ask me after. But I, again, don't really recommend reading it, exposing your mind to it. It is the worst kind of stuff that you can imagine in terms of multi-generational family enslavement to demons and production of pornography and ritualized abuse of children and baby sacrifice, all of this horrible, horrible stuff. Um, that this isn't just Old Testament stuff, that this was still happening uh, today. Um, is that the occult? For some people... Um, it may range all the way from baby sacrifice to Harry, reading Harry Potter or watching, you know, Fantastic Beasts. What is, what is the official demarcations of what is considered uh, the occult? 
So um, that's the that's what we're going to try to do in the in this first little piece here is to try to define uh, the boundaries. Of, is it something that's scary and hidden and out there and other, or is it mainstream? Is it everywhere? So that's the first question. What counts as the cult? Uh, that turns out to be a pretty difficult question to answer. So I'm going to take a lot of information and compress it down into some few things that you can hang your hat on. Um, the Latin root of a cult dates back to the late 15th century as a verb from the Latin occluter, something like that, which is used to mean things like to, sec- to secret or to conceal or to cover over. It's a compound of the word oculus, which means I, and uh, clear, which means to hide. So you basically get the idea of something secreted away, hidden, concealed, covered over, kind of like you think of the way that we, we say the English word to occlude would be to, like, to hide something from view or even to cover uh, your eyes so that you can't see it, to, to shut something in. The modern term occult actually makes its first appearance in a French dictionary, 1842, as l'occultism. And initially, the term was applied to things that were considered uh, occult philosophies and and uh, occult sciences. Occult philosophies was a label they'd throw on anything they thought was subversive. They're like, oh, that's just occultic thinking. Uh, Occult sciences were things like alchemy, divination, uh, astrology, natural magic, those those types of things. As things went on into the 1900s, the term became associated more and more with anything that was considered esoteric or paranormal. Uh, So all of that above, except some of the sciences became real sciences. They're like, some alchemy became chemistry, and they're like, oh, this is pretty legit. It's not, you know, like this is a real science. It makes sense. So then they added other things in there like UFO abductions. That became like an extra paranormal thing that they started uh, adding into that. But overall, it wasn't so much about the practices themselves as it was about the people who practiced them, meaning people would say, what I'm doing is occultic. And everyone else was like, okay, that, that sounds fine to you. And then in about 30 years ago, everything started to shift where the perception was no longer that just the people who were doing these things and claiming to be occultic were occultic, but the common practices that they had together, that those things became uh, occultic uh, just in of themselves. And so we end up with this sort of uh, longer definition, which hopefully will come up, supernatural occult. So it's meaning supernatural, mystical, or magical beliefs, practices, or phenomena beyond the range of ordinary knowledge or experience, mysterious, communicated only to the initiated, esoteric. That's still pretty uh, grab bag, big pile of things. So just try and narrow it down even a little bit more for our purposes this morning. We're going to use the practice of seeking and using hidden knowledge. This is often sought with the goal to try to manipulate uh, the, the physical or spiritual world. That's the, the aim of it. That's what occult practice looks like, uh, and it has a long, long history. We see this, let's say, for instance, in the early church, first few centuries, as a, a heresy. Any guesses as what, what was the major heresy in the first few centuries? Gnosticism. Good job, guys. Gnosticism. So Gnosticism, this is having knowledge, in this case, having a secret knowledge, and they purported to have like a secret knowledge about Jesus, about God, uh, uh, that was different than what was publicly available. Like they had new knowledge, secret knowledge that you had, if you could learn these things, you, you, would, you would gain something from them. Uh, and in addition to that, they promoted a sort of like unhealthy platonic dualism where like the, the spiritual realm and the physical realm are, are two different things. They're separate. And the spiritual realm is kind of shiny and clean. And the physical realm is dirty and bad. Uh, you may still experience this and feel this in some of your own thinking. Like uh, as, as a person, if you reflect, do you feel like your, your, your spirit is more worthy of being saved and your body is kind of like not as good, it's kind of dirty? In as much as you think that, that's not Christianity, that's Gnosticism. Uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus was of his whole soul, body, and spirit, soul in the Bible includes the whole thing, that he was bodily resurrected. We look forward to a bodily resurrection and to life on the new earth. Um, Another reason sometimes we may be down on our bodies is because we'll be reading in our Bibles, and the Bible's always talking about our flesh, our flesh, our flesh. This doesn't refer to your body, but your sin nature. So that's another area we get a little bit confused. But there's this Gnosticism that's happening, this occultic thinking that's happening uh, at this 
this time. Going back even further, back to uh, Old Testament times in Jewish mysticism, they had this thing that eventually developed into Kabbalah. Who's heard of Kabbalah before? We have the tree of life up there. Have you guys seen this? Crazy stuff. They would use these like cryptic ciphers to unlock hidden knowledge in the Old Testament. And a lot of what uh, Wiccan, like modern magic stuff, actually traces roots back to Kabbalah. You'll see Hebrew lettering and interesting different things in some of these things. In, in some ways, we could go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Eden, even where uh, Eve, as she's reaching out to take the fruit, it's from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so there's this, Satan uh, convinces her that there's hidden knowledge, knowledge that God has hidden and kept from her. And that if she just reaches and takes, if she pursues and uses that knowledge, she'll gain some power. She'll gain something. So in some fashions, you can see that there's a occultic philosophy finds its roots right in the, in the very beginning of the human rebellion against God, and then expands, expands, expands uh, into all of these different things. Kabbalah, Gnosticism. Um, today, we would have a, a longer list. I think this should be the next slide. Yes. Um, such as things such as Wiccan, witchcraft, sorcery, seances, crystals, Ouija boards, New Age practices, astral projection, horoscopes, fortune-telling, tarot cards, spiritualized or ritualized sexual practices, druidism, and even some forms of animism. This stuff's all in the cultic basket. Um, there's a couple things that I've left out of here. Um, I heard somebody before, somebody said Satanism. I have specifically left Satanism uh, out of this uh, for the reason that Satanism, like the term occult, Satanism is also kind of like a basket of a few different things. Um, There should be a slide coming up that has that. Yes, this is the official logo of the Church of Satan. Um, And uh, it is called the Sigil of Baphomet. Notice that there are Hebrew letters around the points of the thing. So it's got some roots and tied into Kabbalah. I believe that spells out Leviathan minus the vowels, which is common with Hebrew. So if you like open your Bibles, you see in your Bibles where it says LORD in all caps, little baby like half-size caps, it says LORD. That's referring to Yahweh, which is basically those letters without the vowels. This is sort of like the satanic version of it. Forms of Satanism are all about just being the opposite of Christianity. It's just a weird mirror image thing that they do, write backwards, walk backwards, weird things. Um, Another element of this, though, would be people who are doing Kabbalah-esque stuff. This would be an occultic kind of Satanism. People who purport to actually try to worship Satan and engage with the demonic realm, this would be more of an occultic form. But there are other forms of Satanism, people who refer to themselves as a Satanist, who for them, it's not really a spiritual thing. It's more of a philosophical worldview mindset kind of thing that's rooted almost in sort of like a nihilism. Um, There should be a definition that you guys can pull up. Uh, Some researchers posit that though there are a lot of different expressions of Satanism, there are traceable centralizing themes, such as an emphasis on individualism, a genealogy that connects them to other satanic groups, a self-perception as an elite, uh, an embrace of values such as pride, self-reliance, and productive nonconformity. There's this sense of just doing things the opposite way and be like, I'm going to be about me. And I'm not going to apologize about that. So when somebody, this is important to understand, because when you connect with somebody and they say, I'm a Satanist, make no assumptions. That could mean a lot of different things. Ask really good questions. Try to figure out what that means to them before you're immediately just being like, in the name of Jesus, you know, like hitting them in the forehead. Um, Another big thing that I left out is pop culture, fantasy novels, movies. There's a lot of like can be occultic stuff in those things. Uh, A big question a lot of parents have asked themselves in the last 10 years is, is Harry Potter okay? Is Harry Potter okay? Well, let me tell you, there is no Bible verse about Harry Potter in the Bible. There's many things like this. And so what happens is, is we have to exercise wisdom when we're addressing these types of issues. And so for Severine and I, my wife and I, as parents, we had to exercise wisdom, decide, is this something that we are going to engage in personally? Is this something that we're going to allow our kids to engage in? Are they going to see the movies? Which movies? The old ones, the new ones? Uh, that we, this is something we've had to wrestle with. Now, I, many, many people on the internet are going to disagree with what I'm about to say. 
but this is just my opinion, trying to exercise wisdom, and I believe each of you are going to have to make your own choices about this. But from my opinion is that the magic practiced in the Harry Potter world is very candy-coated and is very different from occultic-type practices, that there's a divide there, and that it is very similar to the type of magic that's presented in uh, the types of works by C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, who are Christian writers. They're including sort of this candy-coated, non-occultic-type magic in their stuff. So if you're going to get rid of your Harry Potter books, you probably need to burn your triple Blu-ray set of The Lord of the Rings. Okay, I'm just saying, if you're going to be consistent, that's something that you need to think about. Um, seriously, though, that's not to say that there is not a terrible potential for young, pe- young children to be drawn into the cult through an unthinking consumption of something like Harry Potter. You need to be, be engaged. If you're going to allow them to engage with that, you need to be engaged. You need to be communicating with them about this stuff. You need to be unpacking, like, some of this stuff is real. Don't don't do anything like this. Don't be enamored with this. You have to have that conversation. I think it's also uh, important to note that the new Fantastic, Beer, Fee, Be, Fantastic Beast series of movies that are like in the Harry Potter world, but in the United States, a different time frame earlier maybe, that they are starting to incorporate real occultic imagery into their movies. Boom. Uh, that's concerning. So that's something you need to be aware of. Like the franchise may not always, you may make a decision and then the franchise may move into a place where you're like, okay, well now we're not going to go here. Or now we have to have a new conversation. So there's, there's, you may be thinking like, okay, there's a lot of Harry Potter fans out there, millions and millions of people, but like magic isn't real, right? This is not, this stuff isn't real. Why would we even talk about this stuff? Um, Why talk about the occult? You can go to a blank slide probably at this point. According to research by Trinity College in Connecticut, Wicca is one of the fastest growing religions in the country. United States, whenever I say country, sorry. Canada's probably tracking here, but one of the fastest growing religions in the country between 1990 and 2008, it saw a 40-fold increase in the number of adherents. One and a half million Americans now identify as either Wiccan or pagan. That is not a small number of people, and it's apparently trending uh, upwards. The web publication Quartzy described modern witchcraft as the perfect religion for liberal millennials. Uh, Wiccans emphasize free thought and will of the individual, encourage learning and understanding of the earth and nature, as well as tolerance and the ideals of feminism. Occultic philosophies are perfectly tuned to the place that we find ourselves. Uh, they are on the rise, and they are even trendy. They're trendy on Instagram. They have hashtags. Um, so what about where we live in Montreal? What's happening here? Sure, the United States, there's all these witches now. But what about in Montreal, right on the island? I did some Googling, and it was just, like, difficult to process all of the stuff. I have to look at the screen. Okay, so this is just the stuff, like, just typing in, like, Wiccan or any pagan, anything term, and you get all these dots on the map around where we are right now in terms of tarot shops and all of these little things that just show up here, and this is just on the island. Uh, Keep going. Next slide. Yes. Okay, so coven. Yeah, Wiccan coven in Montreal. Another one. Another one in Montreal. West Island one. There's a Quebec Facebook Wicca group. Oh, this is, so this one is interesting. Uh, there's these covens all over the French-speaking world. I just noticed this morning that they have 21 covens. They're like, they're, we're church 21, they're coven 21, or 21 covens. But, but all over, um, they've got trendy Instagram pictures, and one more slide, you can sign up and join one of their covens around the French-speaking world. Their website's nicer than ours. Uh, this is just a, like a, a, a real thing here in Quebec. Dwight talked about this a little bit last week, uh, two weeks ago, but how for many older Quebecois that this is a huge thing for them. This is a huge thing for them. My own experience of going to like Airbnbs around Quebec, which are often owned by older Quebecer folks and sometimes older Quebecer ladies, almost 100% of the time as I'm going in these places, when I go to Airbnb, I have like a nesting period. I have to nest, and so I like to go look everything, kind of get figure out where everything is, maybe move some of the doorknobs around. Don't tell anybody, but like I just I modify it a little bit, and uh, but I always look at all their books, and I almost always find weird occultic books. 
weird Egyptian things, ritual symbols, all this weird stuff. Or conversely, we're in the United States. We're in uh, like New York, upstate New York or Vermont or something. And if we're staying in some little place and I find a book and I'm like, Severine, who owns this house? And she's like, oh, it's a Quebecer couple from blah, blah. I'm like, yeah. And I put it back. It's just, it's a thing. Um, it's, it's something that's a part of the lives of people in Quebec, particularly of, of older folks in certain ways, but then, uh, oh yes, the metaphysical, this is hard without the slides. Yes, there we go. The metaphysical and spiritual show of Montreal is one of the largest and most awaited spiritual gatherings in our city. We don't have, there's no Christian expo that has like 10,000 people gathering. And this has been growing year over year, 140 exhibitors. It is a big thing here in Montreal. So we've got a pretty good idea of what the cult is, the practice of seeking and using uh, this hidden knowledge. Uh, And it's got a long history and it's a big thing here. Um, And the problem with this, then the reason we're talking about it, isn't because it's fake, but because this is very real. Uh, Again, two weeks ago, Dwight did a great job of unpacking just how real this is for people in this city. That people are experiencing things in their homes, that people are experiencing things in their lives, demonic activity, demonic oppression, sometimes often because they've dabbled here and there a little bit uh, with various things, and they're just not under the protection of the blood of Jesus, and so it's like field day. People are suffering in our city uh, because of this, and so we want to talk about this because this matters. So Bible, what then does the Bible say about the occult? Well, first off, the Bible is pretty clear uh, that we are not to practice in the cult in any form. We'll start in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, This is where the Israelites are receiving instructions from Moses. They're supposed to be going in and and clearing the promised land. People in the promised land are doing occultic things, baby sacrifices, like really, really heavy, nasty stuff. And they're supposed to go in and take the land and be different and get rid of, push all of those people out. Uh, So chapter... Uh, 18 verse 9, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Did the Israelites do a good job of this? No. Uh, they kind of pushed most people out because they did want the land, but they, I don't know if they just kind of, they just weren't fully obedient. The Lord wants full obedience. They just weren't fully obedient. They left some people around them. Then over the generations, kind of became friends, intermarried, had barbecues, started sacrificing their babies. It, it just, it just went downhill. And this is like, from the bottom all the way to the top to the kings of Israel. Um, We're going to look at a king, so way past the first few kings, all the way further up to uh, Manasseh. We're going to look in 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old, and I want you guys to see the parallel here. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hebzilah, and he did did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to what was according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab, king of Israel, had done and worshiped all the host of heaven. So demons, spiritual beings is the way this is referred to as the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. You're probably thinking like, that sounds like exactly what Moses was saying, like not to do, not to do. Certainly this author is paralleling on purpose to highlight for us that the Israelites had become what they were supposed to be replacing. They were supposed to be a nation unto himself, to, to the Lord and be different be called out from among the nations who did these things. They were to be different and they ended up becoming 
the same. And so over time, the Lord eventually, they were exiled out of the land because they had become just as bad or worse than the people they had replaced. And then Jesus comes to fix what human beings have not been able to fix. We have not been able to do, the Lord gives all these rules. He's like, don't do this, do this. We're not good at rules. As soon as we hear the rule, we want to do the opposite. Uh, And so the Lord Jesus came, the Lord, Son of God came in the person of Jesus to fix this for us. And so he goes and through his life and through his death and his resurrection, he defeats Satan, sin, and death. The Bible tells us he disarms uh, the powers of the spiritual realm. He disarms and triumphs and shames these uh, beings, this heavenly host that the Israelites had been worshiping. And so now Jesus makes a way for us to be in right relationship with God. And now we as believers He sends his spirit to live in us. And then we have the same power that he had, that he used as he went about the countryside, driving out demons out of people, about expanding the kingdom of God, not just giving freedom from sin, but also giving freedom from spiritual oppression, things that people had entangled themselves in. And now we see Jesus's followers. So after Jesus is Superman back up to heaven, given his spirit, now his followers are going out and doing likewise. We're gonna look at our passage that Andrew read for us earlier, Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11. So this is Jesus is gone. His spirit is at work in the apostles. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And then some took some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus who Paul proclaims. Now, Jesus was a common name, so it was good they were specifying it was Paul's Jesus. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and it came, it found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. so about $10,000 worth in today's money. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Lots of interesting stuff happening here. So the spirit of God has left the temple. It is now in an unsafe manner, roaming about the countryside in the believers, expanding the kingdom of God and unseating the powers of evil that had been sort of running amok all of this point. So this is, this is happening. You, you see this begin with Jesus as he encounters demons and they're like, whoa, why are you here? What's happening? Why, is, why are you here? Are you here to torture us? It doesn't seem like time yet. And, and so now the apostles, it's just like they got rid of Jesus. He's gone. But now there's many Jesuses roaming around. The problem has gotten much, much worse for the demonic realm. And so they're going around and guys who don't know Jesus, they're not on team Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit, but they see this. They see this and they have an occultic response. They say, ah, that's, those, that's the spell. If you use those words, if you use that name, if we do this thing, then we too could have this power. We can, we can just speak the words and the demons will now respond to us in an all new level. Like we're going to level up. And so seven guys go to just work on one guy. And that one guy empowered by this demonic being uh, beats all of them up, strips them naked. I remember that there was a story when I was a kid that even though we we're in a Baptist church, every once in a while we did really charismatic things. And there was somebody that had obviously demonic things happening. And uh, they were trying to, I don't know, they were probably... Uh, you know, Baptists, they don't know what they're doing with this stuff, but like they just, they tried to go do it. And like this woman like picked my pastor up and like threw him, like he's a big guy. Um, they're, they, they have super, the supernatural strength. Um, and, and so these guys just get, get beat down because they're trying to deal with this in the wrong way. Uh, they, we learn from this passage that true spiritual power isn't gained through secret knowledge, but through relationship with Jesus, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then you too can receive the Holy Spirit and being in Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God, positionally places us in authority over all of the demonic realm. 
So we have a new place in the order of things, and we can use the name of Jesus to drive away demons. So these guys figure that out the hard way, and then all of the new believers suddenly realize that their way of dealing with the world is now defunct, uh, that there's a different way. And so they begin divulging their secret occultic, their, their private occultic practices. For many people who would try to defend their use of, you know, I'm a Christian, but I also do a little tarot card. You know, it's just a private thing. You know, I do it at home. I don't do, I don't do readings for other people. I just like to flip the cards out once in a while, you know, uh, that this is a private thing. The, all of these people who are doing this stuff, they realized how uh, wrong and useless that was. And so they bring out and they have like a big bonfire of all of this stuff. And they don't eBay any of their stuff. This is important. You know, if you've got expensive occultic stuff, you've got like a silver chalice or something at home, and you're like, I can't burn this. It's worth like $100. You know, I'm going to eBay it. No, burn it. These people burned all of their stuff at great, great cost, but also great joy. Praise God that we don't have to use all of this occultic stuff, all of these little secret knowledge tools to engage with the spiritual realm, which has been hassling us. Some of them, they weren't doing it because they found it fun. They were doing it because they were being attacked and they were trying to defend themselves and they didn't need that stuff anymore. The only thing that you need to know to deal with the demonic realm is this. In the name of Jesus, go away. That's it. It's super easy. You guys want to say that? In the name of Jesus, go away. There you go. You guys are all professionals now. Uh, this, is, this, is a, this is the simple thing. Children, children can learn to do it. We've taught our children to do it. They have had to do it. Being pastor's kids sucks on this level of just extra getting targeted sometimes. And so you just, this is something that you, you can do. It's very easy. It does not require secret things. You don't have to go to the library. You don't have to research. Just in the name of Jesus, out loud, tell uh, the demons they have no authority and they can, they can take a hike. They can go away. So considering what we've read through these different passages, how then do we respond to the occult biblically? I'm going to have four points uh, and then a couple things of application. Uh, point number one, steer clear of it. Steer clear of it. This is not a safe thing to just dabble in, just to try out a little bit. Um, even researching this stuff over the last weeks, I was just like, I don't want to go into this stuff. It's not fun. It's not even safe. Um, if you dabble in this, you are inviting ancient, powerful, tricky, evil beings into your life. And if you do that, uh, and then you're foolish enough to then realize you have a problem, you're like, I have made a mistake. And sadly, the occultic way of dealing with those demons is to invite more powerful demons to kick those demons out. Is this a silly system? That's like, you're like, oh, look, wolves. Let's feed them. Open the door, bring them in. Oh, they're biting me. What will we do? Lions. <laughs> you know, then you've got lions. You're like, velociraptors. You know, I don't know what kills lions. Nothing. Velociraptors probably could if there's enough of them. This is a silly system. Instead, name of Jesus, go away. Much, much better. Uh, and so this is just really encourage you to steer clear of anything having to do with the occult. And clearly uh, the Bible forbids it. Not in a way where it's like the way Satan's like, oh, you know, God's got some sweet stuff hidden away you know, and he doesn't want you to know about it. He's keeping it all for himself, right? Uh, as, as parents, we generally, generally don't do this. Sometimes we'll have cereal we don't let the children eat, and then they find the box in the recycling later, and they're like, what? When did this happen? But generally, we don't hold back things from them that are good things. We hold back things that are bad things, right? Um, it is like an exhausting nightmare to try to gently give your children access to the internet at the same time as like trying to weave layers of protection over the horrors of the internet. Um, and it's not like, wow, why, are, why, how come Google's blocked? Why can't I have Google? And be like, because I love you. You know, like I'm not withholding bad things. Maybe some good things are getting swept in it. It's for the better, just, you know, when you're older. Um, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. So in that way, we, we, want, we want to respect the Bible's prohibition against these things so that for our own good. Okay, number two, if you do encounter the occult, don't use occultic means in response. So if you have allowed something to your life, don't do the thing where you invite the lions and the velociraptors. You go right to Jesus. If you encounter someone who is um, uh, embroiled in the occultic world or experiencing uh, demonic oppression, don't use occultic means to try to, uh, to remove the demon by, by 
conversing with the demon and trying to figure out how to convince it to leave or some of the weird things that you'll find on the internet, 18 hour long exorcisms, usually the things, exorcism movies always have exorcisms being done wrong. Otherwise they would be like a really boring movie, right? It'd be like in the name of Jesus, get out. And then everyone's just eating breakfast for the next two hours. The best exorcism movies should only be on Vine. You guys remember Vine? Those six second loops? Co-founder made a new thing. It's called Bite or something. Anyways, Bite videos. In the name of Jesus, be gone. Six seconds. Boom. It's done. The whole movie. So that's what we should have coming out of Hollywood. Uh, James 4, 7, you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now, some church traditions have lifted up uh, particular church members as having a special gifting with dealing with demons. Like it's their special thing. Like my... Um, one of my professors in Bible college referred to these folks as Christian witch doctors. It was like, oh, go get Steve. You know, he'll come and shake the bones or whatever. And he, he knows what to do as if, you know, it's that complex. The problem is, is when you have professional anything, it implies secret knowledge, right? Who knows an actuary? Some of you guys. What those, I've been in Citigroup now with two different people who have been attempting to become actuaries. One a long time ago up in Park X and now in our current one. It looks hard. These people do crazy math. And to get into the guild or whatever they call it of being a real licensed actuary, you have to do these crazy math tests and you have to do them like one after another and you fail and you have to be going really hard math stuff. It's really, really difficult, but then you're in. They initiate you. In. Then you're all the way into this thing and you are a professional. Having a professional exorcist is a problem because it implies that there's something special, that some bar, some threshold you need to cross uh, to, to get there. That, that is an occultic way of responding to the cult. And we want to respond to the cult in a biblical way, which is very simple. Third, avoid occultic practices in corporate worship. A um, couple of things here. We should be very careful. Anytime we're in a worship, we're in a, a church gathering, city group, where you have this sense of like somebody there is like, they're really trying to like conjure the Holy Spirit. And I think very many well-intentioned Christian folk are, are looking to elicit a, a response. And at best, sometimes you'll get people like giving like a fake response. They're like, you won't stop singing this song, so let's get louder, you know. Or, or it'll be a purely emotional response where they break you down through repetition and fatigue. You're like, I'm so hungry. I just, I'm, see, I'm like having a vision, you know. So some of these things can be negative because there's this, this attempt to try to manipulate and elicit this uh, reaction to try to manipulate the Holy Spirit as a part of the spiritual realm, to do something ritual-wise, to get the Holy Spirit to do something. This is a problem. This is an occultic way of relating to the Holy Spirit. Uh, First of all, because the Holy Spirit is already here. Even though none of you guys are speaking in tongues right now or falling down, the Holy Spirit is here. He is, we are the temple. The Holy Spirit's in the temple. We as the gathered people, those of you who are team Jesus, followers Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells inside you and is at work in your heart right now, even if it's not really like a noisy, flashy thing. The Holy Spirit can be flashy if he wants to, but he isn't flashy on command. And one movement within, within a church that we've talked about before in terms of what we'd say like the, the um, uh, hyper charismatic movement uh, seemed to be successful in being able to elicit a really intense response from a spirit, but we don't think it's probably the Holy Spirit. The, 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 what, the reactions that are occurring should be a slide that has a picture of the, there we go. There's this, there's this uh, kundalini spirit uh, out of Hinduism that manifests people uh, falling down, being frozen, laughter, uncontrolled laughter for hours, barnyard noises, unproductive stuff. Uh, we see this happening in the Christian church in some, in some places. Not widespread, but we do see it. And in some ways it's growing and spreading. Um, this is a concern. If people are literally in an attempt to bring forth the Holy Spirit in a way that may be inappropriate, they're actually inviting another spirit into their midst. So that's something to guard against as well. Fourth, consider that if you have incorporated into your mindset, into your thinking, uh, occultic philosophies. Remember, there's occultic sciences. So there's like you're doing these various things, but there's also uh, an occultic philosophy, an occultic uh, way of thinking. 
Uh, Think about this common Christian narrative. Jesus just wants you to be free and to be nice and to not hurt anyone else. This kind of thing. Um, There's, who who can tell me, go to this. Who can tell me, what's the Bible reference for this? Anyone know where this is from? Yeah, it's not the, it's not from the Bible. It's not from the Bible. It's from something called the the Wiccan Reed, uh, R-E-D-E. Um, and it's, uh, there's a slide that has more of it there. That's the short form of it. Um, this is sort of like the golden rule of the occult. Um, uh, it, it sounds, it sounds good, right? The reason it sounds uh, good to us is because this has become a, a significant pillar in the worldview of the Western world. I should actually read it aloud since I didn't do that. And it's not going to get in the podcast, but it's, and it harm none, do what ye will. And it harm none, do what ye will. That's the sort of a thing is like, you know, do what you want. As long as you don't hurt anybody else, then what you're doing is fine. It's morally okay. As long as you don't hurt anyone else. This is a do whatever feels right. Whatever's true to your heart within the bounds of not hurting others, even if it's not good for you. Isn't this the like exact heartbeat of our culture? Canada is making laws based on this principle. Why shouldn't weed be legalized? Maybe it's not great for you, but it's not hurting anybody else, right? Why shouldn't we legalize prostitution? We're not encouraging people to become prostitutes, but like, you know, we shouldn't limit them from at least doing what they want, not hurting anybody else, right? This is the philosophy that laws in our land are being made right now. Um, you could probably apply this in some fashion to the maid law they're considering now in terms of doctor, doctor-assisted medical dying It's not called suicide anymore. I forget what it is. We find this at the roots of all modern liberalism. Uh, Looking at, uh, this should be on the slide, France's Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen back in 1789. Liberty consists in the freedom to do everything which injures no one else. Hence, the exercise of the natural rights of each man has no limits except those which assure to the other members of the society the enjoyment of the same rights. These limits can only be determined by law. Uh, Or more recently, John Stuart Mill articulated in this principle um, on liberty, where he argued the only purpose for which power can be rightfully exercised over any members of of civilized community against his will is to prevent harm to others. It sounds reasonable, right? Like, you're like, how, but how else would we structure things if we didn't do it in this way? Like, we can't have the government being like, you can't do all of these things and, you know, just let everybody do the best they can without hurting each other, right? This finds room in our hearts. This is an occultic philosophy, and yet you may find it moving in your heart. You'd be like, this is my whole life operating principle. Uh, And so in this way, you don't need uh, candles or crystals or a broomstick to ride to be participating in the cult, at least in the way that you interact uh, with the world and in your mind. You just need to believe, teach, and act as though everyone should be allowed to do what they want as long as they don't hurt anyone else. Uh, This philosophy, this occult philosophy, is commonly known as the harm principle. And uh, while it's foundational to the modern worldview, under uh, heavier scrutiny, it starts to break down. Because as it turns out, it is really hard to, to define the limitations of harm. How do we determine what harm is? Do we limit it just to physical harm, the way that uh, John Stuart Mill's guy did? Do we expand it uh, or limit it to the structures of laws and institution, as Malcolm Gladwell does? Where do we locate harm? Um, it is somewhat irreducibly complex to suggest that we can actually prevent all harm to others while letting people do whatever they want in perfect liberty. But let's just assume for a second that we could. Let's just set that problem aside. Even under this philosophy, you're still allowed to harm yourself. You're allowed freedom up to the point of self-harm. But is self-harm really limited to you? Does that really, when you, when you are experiencing harming yourself or doing things that are negative for self, does that really just limit its, its connection just to you or does it expose to everyone else? It harms all of society when people begin to harm themselves. This is, to, to think that it's limited to you is to rely on this grossly unrealistic, like individualistic worldview where you're just an island. We are the most individualistic people probably in the history of the world I can't back that up. I'm just saying it. But it's, we are, we're pretty close. And 
And, and so our brains are a little bit warped. No one else probably in history, like going back further where normal earlier human societies were very interconnected would be like, yeah, Steve hurts himself, doesn't affect us at all. That would not be the case. But only in our modern times can we even begin to say, oh yeah, this kind of makes sense. This could be a, a working thing. Um, so self-harm isn't limited to yourself and it is impossibly complex to let uh, other people do whatever they want and also prevent uh, external harm to society. This maxim is broken and yet it's at the heart of our culture and our laws. It's functioning in certain ways in our churches and even in our own hearts. So to answer a big question here, the cult isn't just something that's like out there. It's not just goth people, you know, with their black everything and their cards and their candles and stuff like that. Um, it's not just witches and broomsticks and, and those dirty Harry Potter fans. It's not just out there. It's also in here. It's in the halls of our government. It's, 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 it permeates deep. So where do we go from here? Um, I think two places. One is repentance and one is mission. So first repentance. Um, two areas. First of all, for those of you who have dabbled in the more overt uh, practices of the occult, uh, repentance. Like the believers in the passage in the book, in Acts that we read where they brought out, they divulged, they confessed their secret things that they were doing or maybe not so secret things they're doing. And they brought them out and they, div- they got rid of that stuff. They, they repented of it. Repent means to turn away. So they dumped that stuff and burned it and turned away. And they're like, I'm going a new way. I'm leaving this behind. So that would be a step for us. Anybody any, to burn, like if guaranteed people in this room, somebody has tarot cards in their house somewhere or a Ouija board or both or something like guaranteed within this space. We've, we have things that are in our homes that we should probably get rid of. Um, a new age book, perhaps, that you're not just reading for sermon prep, uh, but that you are reading for inappropriate reasons. Um, and, the, and the operative word here is used. There are many Christians out there or purported Christians who would drop a very long list of things that you need to get rid of out of your house in order to free yourself of demonic footholds or, you know, demonic influence. Um, So much so that it can begin to expand to overtake otherwise benign things. There's a picture of a shelf in our house. There it is. Okay. So yeah, so I got my wife these owls. They're pretty cute little owl guys. And uh, and they're on a shelf with um, some math books and the collected works of Martin Luther. And, uh, and so those are okay. Uh, but according to these people's list, those are giving a demonic foothold to demons in my house because, you know, owls, they're just evil naturally. Um, they're only awake at night, you know, and people who work night shift are evil. Uh, I don't know. So they would say, I have to get rid of those things. Now I have not used those in, let's say that I drew a pentagram and I put some candles. I use those owls to try and conjure something tainted. I'd probably get rid of the owls. If I had found out that someone else had used those owls in an inappropriate manner, I would have to pray about it. I don't know, but it's a slippery slope. Like how much do you have to really get rid of out of your house? Yes. Design, things that are designed for occult purposes. Yes. Things that you've maybe used for occult purposes. Yes. The candles that you, that you used for that thing, get rid of those. The candles you lit on date night, you can keep those. Okay. So just use some Use some wisdom in this. Um, and then, you know, don't even get me started about Christmas trees. There's a Christmas. This is like, I don't know if I'm going to ruin Christmas for everyone. But these things are not originally very great. Uh, but we don't use our Christmas trees in an occultic manner. There's another slide. Um, you'll never be able to unsee that. So, like, I have friends who do not use Christmas trees because of that. All right, advance. It's too much. Yes. Um, The danger here is that we begin to see the world through an occultic lens. Oh, this object is evil. Oh, this object's causing this, is causing that. We're free in Jesus. Okay, so yes, burn your stuff that's inappropriate. Burn anything you've used, but you don't have to burn the Christmas tree, in my opinion. But again, the internet would disagree with me, some of of those folks. And, And then pray over your home. Pray over your home 
regularly, prayer of your home, room by room, particularly if there's been areas where you've used, you know things have happened, um, ask for prayer over you. And then, of course, this morning, if this is you, man, if, if you are wrestling with this, you're like, I have made bad decisions. I have invited things into my life. I, I need help. Um, we want to pray with you this morning. So we'll have opportunity for that after in the time of response. Second, inasmuch as we've allowed occultic thinking to permeate our worldview, we need to repent. Uh, we don't need to stay true to our hearts. We don't need to, you, you shouldn't do you. You is evil. Two weeks ago, sermon. Um, don't do you. Do, do the Holy Spirit leading you in the fruit of the Spirit, in repentance, in Christ likeness. We have to look outside of ourselves. Uh, and so in as much as those occultic thoughts that, that, that um, those uh, wicked read is, is resonating in you, that's something that we need to repent of as well. This is we use this reasoning to excuse our sin as Christians, don't we? It's just a private thing. It's a private sin. I'm not, I'm not really hurting. I know it's not good for me, but I'm not really hurting anyone else. How many sins fit into that category? Quite a lot. This is in our hearts. Um, more than just repentance, though, I also want us to respond this morning in terms of mission. Uh, because we have a name that is above all other names, the name of Jesus. And in him, we can engage a city that is captivated in many ways, increasingly so, by the occult. We can engage with a culture that is occult philosophies and occult practices, and we can offer them freedom because so many people, privately, quietly, never makes the news, are struggling with things that they've entangled themselves in, and we can give freedom. This is not just out there. This is in here. I can think of multiple examples just in the last year from within our own church of entanglement in occultic things and people finding freedom. Uh, And then there are many, many people in Montreal who need this as well. And as Christians, you know, you're hearing, you're thinking about it now because we're talking about it. But you'll go home, you make yourself a sandwich, and you won't think about it. Why? Because we're used to spiritual freedom. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian a long time, I'm a Christian like 35 years or something like that. That is a long time. So over a quarter of a century, I'm really used to just the light and the life uh, and the freedom of the Holy Spirit's power dwelling in my person. I, I can no longer realistically imagine or put myself in the place of someone who has lived those years without the Spirit. I just don't even know what that's like. Some of you might have met Jesus later in life. Some of you may not know Jesus, and are, that is your situation now. And there is a, there is a weightiness or an emptiness or a, 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 a tension, a pain, a hurt, a spiritual oppression that's in your life that for those of us who have walked with Jesus for a long time, we have lost touch with. We do not realize the suffering and the bondage and, and the pain and the fear that is present in people's lives because of this stuff. We don't even know. So we as believers, we have to re-empathize ourselves with this. We have to recognize its existence and we need to begin to be uh, engaging in it with, in bold ways. We are seeing people, um, we're, we have people praying prayers saying, Lord, help me engage with someone who is, who is trapped in this. And we're seeing Jesus answer those prayers. We all need to be doing this because this is a huge city and there's not a lot of us. The mission that Jesus gave us is the mission that he had to go out and to free prisoners. And it would be easy for us to like look at the covens and the tarot card readers and to say, they're the enemy. Some churches do that and they're like, those people, the enemy, but they're not the enemy. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is our enemy. How many of you in this past seven days since you were last here have, have gone to war or wrestled with the cosmic powers? You're like, oh, I did on Tuesday. It's in my planner. You know, I know some of you have. All of us should be doing this. And it's not rocket science. Don't read some occultic book on how to deal with demons. In the name of Jesus, you have no authority. Go away. Now, if somebody isn't a believer and they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, 
that is a dangerous thing. The Bible says you don't want to sweep the house clean because then something else worse may move in. Um, ultimately, like we want freedom for, for you. If that's you, we want freedom for you. But we, the Holy Spirit needs to take up residence. Otherwise, we're just making, we're cleaning house for something else to move in. Uh, so again, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to, and then while I'm praying, the band can come up. And then we're going to go into a time of response. And inclusive of that will be a time of prayer. Uh, Papa God, this is just ugly, messy stuff, but yet this is what you uh, sent your son Jesus into, uh, not to attack us, but to attack these evil beings, which have, since the dawn of time, uh, been leading us astray through occult philosophies. From the moment that our great-great-grandmother reached for hidden knowledge, uh, to even now as our our government uh, continues to perpetuate Uh, this philosophy to those around us right now who are wrestling uh, with uh, evil beings and losing. Uh, Lord, get us in fight. Free our minds from occultic philosophies. Help us to be centered in your word, to allow it to inform us of what is good and safe and true and and righteous. Uh, That we would trust you uh, that we would not like Eve doubt if you were withholding from us, if there's some things that we're not participating in and we, we wish we could or, or that we feel guilty about thinking is maybe not the best thing for someone else. Lord, I, give us boldness in these things. And uh, we pray even now uh, in the name of Jesus, if there are uh, spiritual beings in this room, you have no authority to be here. Um, You can accuse and you can point to different sins, but those sins have been removed by the blood of Jesus. The death of Jesus has separated us from uh, the law. Uh, We we cannot be held guilty anymore. You have no right to be here. In the name of Jesus, we command you to go. And Spirit, we ask that you would fill these spaces, uh, that any any space that um, the enemy empties, that you, Lord, you would fill up in abundance with a wellspring of life. Uh, that you do this for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.